Good morning. Um, thank you for joining me. Uh, please turn over to Psalm 34. That's Psalm 34. A friend of mine told me a story about a man and his son. Um, he said that the, the little boy had a bad habit of getting out of bed. So the father was determined to put an end uh, to that bad habit. So that night he put his son to bed. And sure enough, within a matter of minutes, the boy got out of bed and shouted down the stairs, Hey, Dad, can you bring me some water? No, son, go back to bed. You know, a few minutes later, the boy gets up again and says, Dad, I got to go to the bathroom. So after several more of these attempts to keep his son in bed, father finally said, Son, if you get out of bed again, I'm going to come up there and give you a whipping. A few minutes later, he hears his son get out of bed again. He says, hey, Dad, when you come up here to give me a whipping, will you bring me some water? Now, that's one persistent kid. This kid was laser-focused. His pursuit was laser-focused. And this morning, I want us to look at our own pursuit. So my question this morning is, are we truly pursuing Jesus Christ and his righteousness with that much fervency? So let's look over into uh, the 34th Psalm. I'll be reading verses 1 through 22 out of the New King James Version. I'm getting over a cold, so if you would just bear with me. It reads, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. 
this is what a life in pursuit of righteousness actually looks like. So my question is, how are we pursuing God and His righteousness currently? What does our pursuit look like? Now, I genuinely believe that most of the people that are listening to this are probably in pursuit of righteousness. However, that does not mean that our spirit does not also contain selfish ambition. That that pursuit doesn't contain selfish ambition. We know this because the word tells us this in uh, Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12. I apologize, it's not up here, but it says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So Jesus Christ goes on to tell us this very thing in John. Now, a little context. This is after Jesus had miraculously fed the 5,000 men. And the people are coming to him, and they want to follow him. But Jesus then reveals their intentions. Verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, it says, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set a seal on him. Now, some parents know um, that there isn't a much better feeling in the world and when you get home from work and your kid comes running up, running up to you and, you know, they smother you in hugs and kisses and they tell you that they love you and how much they missed you. Well, my son, Adam, would never do that when he was younger. Um, he would hi- actually hide. So if he knew I was coming home from work, he would go and hide and I'd have to come find him first. And it was only after I, I, I found him that he would give me a hug and tell me that he missed me. Well, a few years ago, for Adam's birthday, we bought him some of those little toy dinosaurs, the little plastic ones. And on a whim, I decided to wake him up before I left for work and give them to him because I kind of I wanted to see his face, right? So we wake him up, and he's excited, and then I go to work. Well, there was a bad accident at work, um, and I ended up having to stay there all day long and all night. And by the time I got home late that night, uh, he was already in bed, you know, um, so I missed his entire birthday, basically. Well, I go to work the next morning, and I don't see Adam again until the following evening. So I'm all excited um, to see him, you know, and I'm assuming he's excited too. So I get home, and he's nowhere to be found. So I think, okay, he's hiding again. So I start looking for him, but I can't find him. So I asked my wife, I was like, where's Adam at? And she said, he's upstairs playing with his dinosaurs. So I walk into the room, and he doesn't even acknowledge me. So I said, hey, buddy. To which he said, hey, Dad. Just like that. Very uninterested. But it's because his focus had shifted. Excuse me. We do this very thing with our Heavenly Father. We get what we want. Our bellies get full get that job we've been praying for or that healing or that passing grade 
And as soon as our flesh is satisfied, we completely neglect the giver of the gift until we need something again. Our focus shifts from the glory of the giver to the fleshly gratification of the gift. You know, we will sin and feel guilty about it. So we say, God, please forgive me. But when we don't, you know, then we don't do anything different. We, we don't deliberately and intentionally avoid even the very opportunity to sin in that way again. And sometimes we even encourage an environment for those opportunities. So that means that we don't really repent at all. We only feel guilty, which we are. We aren't truly pursuing Christ because we don't truly desire righteousness. And unfortunately, I'm speaking from experience. So where do we get that desire for true righteousness? Well, uh, in the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And then in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when people say that the word is alive, they mean that the holy word of God became a living manifestation through Jesus Christ. And then in Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In Romans 12, 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So to put, to put things plainly, in order to truly desire righteousness, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith is actually given to us as a gift from God. So this is what total dependence on God looks like. When we say we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him with our salvation, it is because there's nothing you or I can do to earn or to deserve his grace or his gift of faith. You know, people often say that the gospel the gospel demands a response. And if you rightly understand the gospel, then you understand that God is holy, he is righteous, he is just. And it is also because we understand who God is that it is revealed to us then who we truly are in comparison to his holiness. We are not good. We are not holy. We are not righteous. And we are not just. We are sinners. We are enemies of God. We are dead in our sins. And a dead man can't bring anything worthy to atone for those sins. The only hope that we can have is by putting our trust in the sacrifice of of the only one who is good, Jesus Christ on the cross. 
He chose to bear our sin and willingly gave up his life so that we might live in reconciliation to the Father. And this same Jesus, who had authority over all things, even death, demonstrated this authority on the third day when he rose from the dead. He then ascended into heaven. He did all this so that we could escape the judgment that we actually deserve. And simultaneously, we could then become joint heirs with Christ. So where does this desire come from? Well, when we repent, when we repent of our sins and trust our eternity in Christ alone, Ezekiel says, uh, chapter 36, verses 26 through 29, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Um, Excuse me, verses 28 through 29 say, Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for your grain and multiply it and bring you and bring no famine upon you. So the message of the gospel and a true and right understanding of the gospel has the supernatural power and authority to actually change your heart and to change your desires. Romans 5 verses 1 through 2 say, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So with a regenerate heart, your desires will be for him and for his righteousness. So so we've looked at what our pursuit looks like. We now know how, how we can get the desire for righteousness it's only by given to us through him through a regenerate heart so now how does God expect his followers to pursue him how do we put all this into action I want to I want to show you something there we go this picture uh, was taken on April 19th of 2019 this is a uh, Mount Everest, and at 5 a.m., over 200 people made the push to the summit of the top of the world at 26,000 feet. All 200 people made the push for the summit at the same time due to the projected perfect weather conditions. Now, while the weather was perfect, the massive group reached a bottleneck in the climb known as the Hillary Step, which is a 40-foot-tall six foot wide near vertical climb with a drop off on either side of that six foot wide walkway now while climbing people must make room for those coming back down or they must stop for those who are having to take a break which means sometimes waiting hours on the step now because of the weight um, because of that wait time and the lack of oxygen at that altitude 
the climber's reserve oxygen tanks began depleting in near perfect conditions nine people died on this expedition who would risk their lives for that who would who would do something so extreme well as Christians we are to pursue Christ with an even more extreme abandon as far as the world can tell you know this is not a reckless abandon but an intentional one Uh, in fact Jesus Christ describes this extreme pursuit to us in a way that we can comprehend when he tells us that our love for our families should seem like hatred in comparison to the love that we have for him now, not that we don't love our families. He's not commanding us to hate our families, but that the love that we have for him or the, or the the love that we have for our families should be dwarfed by the immensity and the intensity of our love and pursuit of him. Well, he then tells us that if our love for him is not that much of a priority to us, then we actually aren't worthy to be called his disciples at all. over in Matthew chapter 13 verses 44 through 46 it says again the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he found one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it then Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 says but what things were to gain or were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, and righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by me by any means I may attain to I may attain to the resurrection from the dead that is how Christ expects us to, to pursue him in his righteousness with a yearning that says I would cast it all aside just to be in your presence and that's what he's calling us to do today. Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2 says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Does that sound like you? It doesn't sound like me. Because this is David writing. Do we yearn for him as David does? Because we ought to. And then back to Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, it says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. 
I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what our pursuit should look like. So today I would ask you to analyze your pursuit for Jesus Christ and his righteousness. As I do, um, I'm asking myself to make that same examination. And then knowing what Christ expects of us, going forward, how we should appropriately and intentionally be pursuing him according to his standard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity you've given me. I thank you for this platform. Father, I pray for those that are listening, that your words may touch their their hearts, Father, that it may may cut us as it did me. Father, let let your words cut me and show me who I truly am in light of your truth. Father, continually change and mold me to be more and more of the image of your Son. Show me my weaknesses and break me. Bring me to my knees, Father, all so that you could, you can lift me up and show me the, the true and right way. Father, we, we pray for righteousness. We pray for a desire for righteousness. We pray this week that you would reveal to us the opportunity to pursue that, to pursue you and your kingdom first, and to show others the truth of your love and your grace and mercy. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. 